No, I didn't actually attempt. Um, I haven't gotten to that point, I guess. The courage, the strength that it takes to be open and honest about this. Instead of just, you know, blaming myself that he's not here anymore. Uh, I was prepared to shoot myself. Um, and I called my family to sort of say goodbye. To be honest, I was scared reaching out for help because I was like, this could totally ruin my career. Somebody to have a more proactive approach and that he was coming to me to be that person. They found him and he committed suicide. I just started screaming. I just felt responsible. Hello, everyone. I am Tim Lawson, host and founder of the One Too Many Veteran Suicide Podcast and Project. We're 46 episodes into this project, and I'm just so I'm just so grateful for everybody who supports the project and that decides that they want to come on to the show and contribute, whether it's sharing their own story or the short story of a loved one. It just means so much to me that that so many people are willing to contribute to such an important concern. I'm even more grateful that each one of you are taking the time to listen. I know that there are hundreds and hundreds of great podcasts out there. There are amazing shows that'll make you laugh, that'll make you, that'll entertain you, that'll help you be a better business person, whatever it may be, but you're taking the time to listen to this show and listen to these important and powerful stories, and it means a lot. Today's episode brings a friend of mine, Jessica Berlin, her stepdad, who was a 20-year Navy veteran, committed suicide about a decade ago, and Jessica relives the moment in which she found out, the circumstance in which she was in and her family was in and which it occurred, and sort of what she's taken from it, what she's learned, and I think this is... This is very this is very important that we get this perspective that we find out what the bystanders have to endure after experiencing a the you know the suicide of a loved one and then how it affects them even 10 years down the road and how they deal with their own personal depression or how they handle a friend who may be calling out for help. So uh, here's Jessica Berlin recalling the suicide of her stepfather. Let's see. I didn't really know my stepdad when he was um, in the military. By the time he came into mine and my mom's life, he had been retired a few years for 20 years. He's just the nicest laid back guy. And my mom and I had no idea how thick he really was. Let's see. We knew he suffered from some oh. depression. But he was medicated, and um, he saw a therapist once a month. Never had any bursts or was off baseline. Just the nicest guy. He was honestly my best friend in high school. You remember how much I was in trouble and at home and grounded. So I hung out with him free time. It was it kind of came out of nowhere. Okay. Um... Tell us like the tell us about like the day that it that it happened, like how you found out, what you were told, um, you know, what what event really occurred. The previous evening, he was um, almost like he was drunk. 
But we didn't have any alcohol in the house. He didn't drink. But that's kind of like his actions were. He was kind of stumbling around and kind of slurring words. And my mom was worried that if he, because he was six foot four, you know, yeah, almost almost a good 300 pounds. And my mom, tiny little, barely five feet. So my mom was worried that if he fall over or hurt himself, that she wouldn't be able to, you know, help him up and take care of him. So she called 911 and they came and picked him up and they took him to the hospital. And they said there was nothing in his abnormal. And so the, there, you said there was nothing in their system that was abnormal. Yeah. Okay. So there was no no traces anything. So um, they let him go twelve hours, which they told my mom and I they would keep him seventy two for observation. But they let him go after twelve hours, and he uh, came home, and I was. Um, out of town. I was actually with Christine out at the mall. And uh, I had some people calling me from work saying, you know, there's a bunch of um, fire trucks and houses right outside your house. And I was like, oh boy. So Christine and I came home and within the, what, 35-40 minutes that it took us to get home, they were still looking for him in the woods next to our house. And then that's when the sheriff came in and told us that he had, they'd done like 45 minutes worth of CPR on him. How, um, he, how, yeah, what, um, what, what was the cause of death? Um, he, um, overdosed on, um, oxycodone and a diet drug. And a and diet it, drug? Yeah, sped his heart up so fast that it stopped. So what, um, you know, so what made, uh, what determined this to be a suicide? The fact that he, he came home and my mom, she went upstairs to use the restroom and he went to his office, grabbed his bag of pills and then ran into the woods next to our house. And then the next day after he died, we had found a suicide note with his wedding rings and truck keys all in a envelope. What uh what was what was in the note? Do you know? Are you can you say? Um, um, it's been a while. Like it's been ten years, but from what I remember, he felt like he wasn't um good enough to take care of my mom. Me and my buddy Jake and his brother Zach were um, best things in his life, and that he's really gonna miss Richard. He wow. felt like he had failed my mom. With what? Did he? Do you do you know any specifics? Like uh, what what area of her life do you do you think? He, he didn't say anything specific in the note, but I know that um, in the couple weeks before he died, him and my mom were having some trouble. He had uh, he developed a gambling issue. He developed he a, a gambling issue. Mm-hmm. What was do you? Uh, what, what kind of gambling was he doing? I think it was more, uh, if I remember, like. Kino and blackjack. And okay. So what do you what do you remember about like the the month leading into that? Did you I mean because you you mentioned that he was this really great guy, one of your best friends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, did he uh, did he ever express to you or or your your mother leading up to it that he was be, that he was disappointed in himself and he felt like he was failing? Yes. So kind of in the the same time, 
But the doctor that he had been seeing for years retired. So he got a new doctor who put him on a new medication. And it kind of altered his personality a little bit. And my mom, uh, when my mom figured out, it all happened at the same time. My mom figured out that he was using some of her money for this gambling issue that she had no idea he was going through. And so she got really upset with him and they had a fight. But she told him if he got help for his gambling that, you know, she would stick it out with him. Mm -hmm. Which my mom doesn't usually do that. My mom's kind of, if you screw it up, <laughs> done. So I know my mom really, really cared about Dale. So um, he it just was kind of awkward in the house. But he, for like a couple of weeks, because of the, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's because of this med change. See, my mom and I were not aware that um, Dale was bipolar. He never told us. Um, I think he was afraid of the judgment that would come along with knowing that he had bipolar disorder. And um, Did that make sense whatever. to you when you found out? Was there ever evidence? In... Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. It made way more sense because um, his... His daughter was going through some paperwork after he had died and um, found some paperwork that, you know, described the um, disorder and everything. So um, he he was, like I said, in the, the night before when he was, you know, almost like he was drunk. It, he was like that for maybe about a week, two weeks prior to that, just kind of slurring his words and talking about how um, he'll never be able to make my mom happy. And when he was in the hospital, when my mom had called 911, I had gone to the hospital with Jake and Christine to see him. And, you know, he couldn't even keep his eyes open. We brought him McDonald's and he couldn't even keep his eyes open to eat this burger that we had bought him. Hmm. And um, I told him, I said, you know, mom's really upset with you but you know she loves you and you know you guys will figure this out and he said he said um actions speak louder than words he said she doesn't love me so that's not true and it didn't sound like him at all because i remember when i was 16 and i was afraid i was going to get in trouble and i tried to <laughs> overdose on i because i didn't know any better <laughs> he was so upset he was so heartbroken he cried so just to think that he could fathom of doing something that scared him so much for me doing, like it just, it really blew me away. Was, was this the first time you'd experienced uh, a close death? Uh, yes. I, and so how, I mean, how was your response in the following, you know, week, month, uh, year, even up till now? Um, well, so let's start with the first like month. How, how did you view Dale, were you, did you feel abandoned? Were you upset? Were you more sad for your, your mom than, than anything else? Like what, what emotion were you feeling the most? Probably that first month that I had a lot of anger. A lot. Like I was really upset for my mom, for me, for him, for his best friend. Like I was just really pissed that he would think that it, that that was the only alternative. Yeah, how how has it changed? Um, Better question, oh, when did it start changing? When did it start changing? Probably after my mom died a year and a half later, because it was very different. 
because my mom had cancer and we knew we had, you know, months to prepare for the worst. And I realized how different it felt for somebody to be like just taken away in one day and then to actively watch somebody die, you know, over time. Yeah. Um, and then even now it still feels different. Like, you know, and I think about my mom's death, you know, I'm not so sad because, you know, she lived her life. She did what she wanted and she knew, you know, a time frame of when her time was coming. Whereas with, with Dale, I still, I still feel guilt that I couldn't help him. I still feel angry that he's not here. And then now that I still feel guilty that I couldn't help him, I still feel angry that he's not here to be a part of my life or, you know, everyone else that he was involved in. You know, his grandkids are grown up teenagers now and they were just babies when he died. Um, but also just very sad that I can't share in what is a pretty good life with him. Yeah. So. The, the medication that he was on, um, like you said, he was, was he on some form of medication when he first came into your life? Uh, yes. Okay. So you, you have, you didn't experience his personality without it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, do you, I mean, you know, medication is a huge, uh, controversy, uh, in, in depression and suicide and how much, you know, if it, how much it helps versus how much it hurts and such. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, do you, you know, now that you've had time to, you know, really process it and look at the way that, you know, he conducted himself and what ultimately happened. Um, I mean, do you think that, do you think that his medication contributed to the weight, to his behavior? Uh, yes, I think the change in medication, because I know he was medicated before, and I don't know what they changed him from and what they changed him to or what dosage or anything, but whatever he was on when he first came into our life, it was good for him, and it, it was regulated, you know, he went um, to his therapy sessions, um, he went once a month, and if he ever felt he needed to, he would go extra, um, and my mom and I never knew, like I said, how bad it really was. That's all we really knew because there were no signs, no, he was very level. Yeah. Um, And then the instant that he changed, they changed his medication, it was instantly. You could just see a change. He was not the same person at all. I didn't even recognize the person that he was. Did Did he realize it? Uh, I don't think so. Huh. Do you, At least he never voiced it. Do you know what he was getting, like, what his therapy was specifically for? No. He didn't, he didn't talk about it. Interesting. Were yeah. you curious? Did you ever ask? Um, all, all he told me was that he <clears throat> suffered from depression. And so he went to a therapist to, um watch watch his medication and um to talk about anything if he ever needed to. He never really went into depth about it. So you have no idea if that was service related? Right. Okay. Um so I mean you know how how has this impacted, you know, I, you know, we all go through um a wide range of emotions. I don't know 
um, you know, how, how deep yours get. But like when you've, when you've become sad or even possibly depressed, how has this event changed the way you view, the way you, uh, you know, navigate your own, uh, harder emotions? I'm very, like, stuck in the middle because I'm a, I'm naturally just a very positive person. So it's very easy for me to, you know, when I get upset or sad or angry, after about 10, 15 minutes, it's usually easy for me to go, you know, there's always somebody that has it worse than I do, and I can just change my attitude. But I know it's not easy for a lot of people. And after being, you know, going through what I've been through with Dale, you know, I've had friends that have been felt the same way that he felt, just very um, lost or not able to just change that attitude, even when they have it's going for them and it's like they can't see them. So. I get kind of stuck in the middle of like, how can you not see it? But then at the same time, I also understand it just because I've been so close. Yeah. That, you know, people just get lost and just cannot figure out how to get themselves out of that feeling. So you said, um, you know, so, so you said that you've had friends that have, so how did you deal with them? How did you interact with, um, with them? just by listening pretty much and trying to give as much positive advice as I can, but at the same time still trying to be realistic because, you know, somebody that's stuck in a depression, you know, positive doesn't always help. Sometimes you just have to be real with them and give them the reality of the situation and tell them the truth because I think the truth is going to be what helps people that are stuck like that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a really great observation. So not a lot of people, not a lot of people have been able to have that observation that, that yeah. being overly positive isn't actually what pulls them out of the rut. Like positive, yeah. positive, uh, reinforcement is not what outweighs the, the negative emotions. It's, it's the, it's the yeah. truth, right? And it's, it's being, and it's, it's yeah. like, it's like the, the shortcut out of it almost is the truth. So, mm-hmm. you know, so do you, do you have like an example? Cause that's a really great observation. I mean, you can make up, you can make one up. It doesn't, have to be, it doesn't have to be like a real scenario, but like, you know, what would, what would be a great example do you think of that? A family member. And it's more, it's more of an addiction situation, but it, it, I think it kind of sometimes falls in the same line, but I had a family member who was suffering from addiction and I kind of kept my distance because I didn't want to, I didn't know how to get involved. I didn't know how to help because, you know, somebody who's an addict just really doesn't see reality. So, um, I was able to catch him at a weak point where he was telling me all these things that had happened to him that I didn't even know. And I was able to tell him that, you know, bad things happen to everybody. It's all in how you deal with it. And what I know is the truth is that you're better than what you're putting forth in life right now. You know you're better than what you're putting forth. Like, you have to figure it out for yourself. I can't do it. Your parents can't do it. You have to do it. And, I mean, it got a little bit more in depth. We were both crying, but I think, I really do think that somehow it got through to him because in the months following, he was able to get sober for the most part. I mean, he still struggles with it some, but um, just being able to tell him the truth, which... Luckily, in in this truth, there was positive in it. I mean, the fact that he's 
better than the choices that he's making was truth enough for him to be like, somebody still believes in me without, you know, throwing fluff up his butt. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, that's a a great way of putting it. You never, you never want to put too much uh, fluff up someone's butt. No, uh, not, no, not too much. Yeah, not too much. It, does, it doesn't help. Um, so have you have you experienced, um, have you been around anybody who's experienced suicidal behavior or has committed suicide since Dale? Um, that is actually committed, no, but I have been around a few people that have attempted. And so when you say you've been around them, you, you were friends with them around the time that they attempted or you were like actually physically nearby? Mm-hmm. Um, friends with them. I lived in a different city, but, um, they kind of disappeared off the grid for a little bit and I couldn't figure out what was wrong. And then when they finally came back onto the grid, they explained to me what the situation was. And ever since then, I've always made sure because, you know, I obviously don't live close to any of my friends anymore. Yeah. Um, but I always make sure to every few days to check in with her and talk to her and, um, seems to be doing much better, you know, not because of me. Obviously, she's got a really good support system finally, but um, it just, I think, you know, a lot of people that suffer from, you know, either bipolar, PTSD, or um, depression, or suicidal thoughts, like, they're all, they're looking for somebody, like, reinforcement that somebody's there, and even when they have like a close circle, they may not always feel like there's somebody there because those people are always there. So I think sometimes when somebody outside that immediate circle is like, hey, I'm right here, I think sometimes it it helps. Yeah. And I know everybody's different. And it's it's very very important for that person to, to be, you know, open and to, you know, sort of, quote, unquote, do their part of getting help, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's... um. Yeah, you know, and I think that's where I think if I can be candid, I think this is one I think this is one plate, one area of suicide prevention that we're being a little too lenient on the on the people that are suffering. Like, I know we want them to feel like Mm -hmm. safe and we want to make them feel like it's not their fault. They're not guilty. You know, that whole spiel. But sooner or later, like you like we can't like save you. Like, it's not like we we can't like just reach into your soul and grab you from that dark place and pull you out. Like you have to help, okay. you, have, you have to let us help you, and you have to help us help you. Like there's, um, yeah. the way that I needed help. They have to was, do their part as well. Exactly, and the way that I needed help was different from the way you know that another person needed needs help. And so it's mm-hmm. there's no just like, well, if I, I'll do this, and that'll like, if I get someone to do that for me, then I'll be safe. No, you have to do your part. You have to like, you have to keep on moving forward, uh, for people to be able to to help you, or at least to be, you have to be open to it. So yeah, yeah. Um, Jessica, yep. I, I really, really appreciate you, um, you know, talking to me about this. It's, it's never, yeah. I know it's never easy. Even after 10 years, I'm sure it's not easy. No. Um, it, it still feels weird. Yeah. Uh, like it just hit me because it happened 10 years yesterday and just yesterday, like right at midnight, I just got this overwhelming sadness. I'm like, oh my God, what is my problem? And then I just realized like what day it really was. And I was like, man, I cannot believe it's been 10 years. That's crazy, huh? Yeah. It's it's amazing, and I say I say crazy. You know, um, what I'm referring to is 
how strong of emotion you can still experience mm-hmm. over something that happened so long ago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there's power, there's things that happened in my life like a week ago that doesn't that that don't come back around <laughs> exactly. and affect me. You know, it's, it's amazing after ten yep. years, something still feels so strongly. So you know, I mean, oh, yeah. a lot of you know people come onto the onto the podcast and they're willing to share their stories and their experiences and their insight. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you sort of were hoping to get a chance to talk about or you think is still necessary to share? Um, I just think, I I hope. I mean, I, I feel like it's easy for me because it's part of my personality, but I just, I hope that more and more people start to um, understand and not judge things that people who are suicidal do. Like, I know a lot of people are quick to judge, oh, well, if they're suicidal, they're just looking for attention. Well, that's not always the case. A lot of people that are are suicidal or searching for something that they don't even know what they're searching for. So I just hope that, you know, through your podcast, through people just paying attention, that they start to understand and just not be so judgmental about the stigma of suicidal um, ideals. I'm going to be talking about in my momentary reflections on Wednesday, but I think the one of the more important uh, things that, that I got to mention here is that when you need help, you need to put effort into, into that help. Uh, there's, I mean, there's only so much that the people around you can do. I mean, you, you have to be willing to accept help. You have to put effort into improving. Uh, you know, you have to move forward as much as you can like even even if everybody can help you get 99% of the way there it's going to take your own effort your own motivation and your willingness to improve to get you 100% of the way there i you know so many people around me have helped me get through my emotional struggles uh but i still had to acknowledge what was going on myself and i had to be willing to pull myself out of that space and continue to improve personally and it's so important to know and it's so important to understand and you know it's it it hurts to realize this but if you're someone who is trying to help someone out of that darkness if if you're trying to aid someone who's having mental and emotional issues it's not all on you. you you can do as much as you can but if the person is not being receptive to the help or they're not putting their own efforts into it you have to you can't blame yourself for not being able to single-handedly save that person. You know, and it's it's really it's really heavy to think about, but it's very important to point out and to consider. Thank you again so much for listening. From the bottom of my heart, I promise you, every hit, every listen that this podcast gets means so much to me. And everybody that shares their stories knows that we're letting them know that their stories matter, and that's so important. I'll be back on Wednesday with Momentary Reflections and Friday with the Q&A. If you would like to submit a question for me to address on Friday, go to onetomanyproject.com slash ask. That's O-N-E, the number two, manyproject.com slash ask, and the device there will let you record a question. Thank you. See you then.